Pastor and I have the same credentials. So uh, I'm licensed and ordained minister just as pastor is. And uh, sometimes I explain that because people sometimes aren't used to seeing a woman preacher. But I are one. And so I'm up today. And so that means that I get to minister the word. Um, The title of my message today is called Mother's Day Advice from a Titus 2-3 Woman. But before I get into that, I want to tell you a a couple of stories, okay? I'm going to give you a warfare prayer lesson. How many of you are in my warfare prayer group? Oh, you're the warriors, warfare prayer people. I want to tell you a couple of stories. When Pastor and I first moved to Martinsville, Indiana, um, we pioneered a church there in 1992. We didn't know anybody. We didn't have anybody backing us like we didn't have some hierarchy group that sent us lots of money and told us to do this thing. No, we just did it. And the Lord supplied and et cetera, et cetera. This was a town of uh, 12,000 people in uh, southern Indiana. When we went there, we were told that there was a suicide pack in the high school and that kids had made this pact with one another that they were going to kill themselves, and they did and they were. So we took authority over that, and the suicide stopped. A few years later, there began to be many accidents in our region, and one of them was even on national television. I don't even know if you remember this, but one woman on purpose went wrong, the wrong way up the highway and killed a, another family and killed her children, and it was, it was a mess, and it was on the national news. What? About 13 people died in that wreck. And uh, we took authority over that, and you know what? The accident stopped. A few years after that, there began to be a lot of murders in that same little 12,000-people town. And the sheriff, when Pastor asked him what uh, he wanted us as as Christians to pray for, he said, I want the the murders to stop. So we took authority over it, and guess what? The murders stopped. Now, when we moved to Barstow in 2005... We were told that there were tons of accidents over here on Fort Irwin Road. Many of you remember that. We took authority over it. We placed angels up and down that road, and the angels are still there. We didn't call them off of their assignments. And guess what? The accidents stopped. John 10.10 tells us this. Jesus said the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and that you might have life more abundantly. Jesus also said in Matthew 18, 18, that whatsoever we as believers bind on earth must be what's already bound in heaven. And whatsoever we as believers loose on earth must already be loosed in heaven. He told us in Matthew 28, 18, Jesus said, all power in heaven and earth has been given unto you. Go, therefore. Jesus said. So Jesus has given us the authority and the power in the name of Jesus to take authority over Satan who comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And so in your little list of things, uh, who do you think is behind bullying that's going on in the school systems? Satan is. It's not God, right? Who do you think is behind the suicides that are taking place in the high school? Satan's behind. Okay. So guess what? We're going to stop it right now. We're going to take authority over it right now in the name of Jesus, and we're going to stop it. 
You know, if we, if we organize a march and everybody marches up and down Main Street, Satan doesn't give a hoot. He sits there and he laughs and thinks, look at what those stupid Christians are doing. They think that they're going to make me stop this because they're marching up and down a highway or anything else that's, that people may come up with. But you know what? All it takes is one person using the name of Jesus and the whole thing stops. So I'm going to take authority over Satan right now and we're going to stop this thing because God has given believers authority to take authority over Satan when he tries to run roughshod over our city, our state, our nation, our family, our whatever. Okay? So you're ready for this? Satan, I bind you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I forbid you in Jesus' name from causing bullying to go on in these schools any further in the name of Jesus. I bind your foul spirit of suicide. I bind you in Jesus' name. I deem you null, void, powerless against your assignments in this region in the name of Jesus. I say you will not operate here anymore in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now, Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for the ministering angels that are compassed all around about these school systems. I thank you, Father God, in Jesus' name, that your love is being loosed in the school systems. I thank you, Lord, for the great awakening to the Lord Jesus Christ taking place in these school systems. And, Father, I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, for revival taking place in these school systems. In Jesus' name, thank you for it, Father. Thank you for it, Father. That's all it took. One believer standing up saying, Satan, you're not doing it. That's all it takes. Okay? So that was lesson number one today, and that was all for free. Okay. Amen. All right. Well, let's open up with prayer this morning as we get into the Word. Father, we come before you this morning in Jesus' name, and Lord, we thank you for the Word of God. The Word of God is what gives us victory in our lives. The Word of God is what shows us which way to go, what to do, how to do it, when to do it, and everything else. So, Father, as we come before you this morning in Jesus' name and we break the Word together, we thank you, Lord, that it's changing lives, changing children's lives, changing the lives of the region where we live, and Lord, we give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as I told you, the title of today's message is Mother's Day Advice from a Titus 2-3 Woman. Well, I'm a 2-3 woman, and I'll tell you what that means in a minute, and then you'll understand why I'm, why I'm ministering this word today. There are many, many mothers here today. There are new mothers, young mothers, middle-aged mothers, grandmothers, and mothers that are great-grandmothers, older mothers. But what I'm going to, who I'm going to address this message to today is you young mothers. Okay, you're just starting out, you young mothers. You know, you've just had babies. You're getting ready to have babies. And... Uh, you need to know, um, I'm just going to share some advice from what I did as a mother, and uh, you can apply it, you know, wherever you see fit to apply it in your lives, and I hope that it helps out. Uh, many people have a plan as to how they're going to succeed in their own life. Many don't have a plan. You know, a lot of people don't even have a plan. They just live one day at a time and have no idea where they're going, what they're doing, um, they live day to day. They have no direction. They have nothing to aim for. They have no ambition. They end up one of the entitled people, meant people thinking everybody owes them a living. But let's imagine for a minute that everyone is diligent about their life, that everyone wants direction in their life, that everyone has something that they're aiming for, that everyone has lots of ambition. And that everyone is going to end up being a great Christian example and a good citizen. Let's just imagine that for a minute. Amen. Consider this. 
If you are one of those who does have a plan, the most important plan that you can have in your life is how you are going to raise your children. You know, you don't, you don't just have them and think they're going to raise themselves. You know, I mean, you can try that, but the results aren't very good. You know, a lot of people can testify to that. Let's, let's open up our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12. Amen. Hebrews 6, 12. Hebrews 6.12 says this, that we be not slothful or lazy, but followers of them, that means people, who through faith and patience have already inherited the promises. So that's why I'm up here today, because hopefully you follow me as I follow Christ, and you can pick up some good tips today as to how you can be a great parent. Now look over at Titus 2.3. Titus 2.3 says this, the aged women, now I don't consider myself old, okay, I'm very young. My youth is renewed like the eagles. I run and I don't get weary, and I walk and I don't faint. But I am a little bit older than some of you young moms. So, it says the aged woman. I will say the woman who's getting a little bit older, I will say that. Likewise, that they be in behavior as become holiness not false accusers, not given to much wine. You will never find me drinking alcohol of any kind. Teachers of good things. So that's why I'm standing before you today because I've been around the block a few times. I've raised a few kids, and I know how to do this for the most part. Look up uh, Proverbs 14.1. We're going to get a bunch of word in here right off the get-go. Proverbs 14.1, lay a good word foundation. Proverbs 14.1 says this, Every, every wise woman builds her house. You know, if have you ever built a house? It takes a while to build a house. It takes a while to build anything. You know, it takes a while you know, to build something. But every wise woman does take the time and she builds her house. But it says, but the foolish woman plucks it down with her own hands. And I've seen a whole lot of foolish women in my time and it always breaks my heart because I think when women are given the precious gift of life of a child or children and they don't tend to those children as God wanted those children to be tended to, and they go around wreaking havoc in their own lives, they destroy not only themselves, but they destroy the children that God has blessed them with. And that always breaks my heart. Now flip over to Psalms 127. Psalms 27, verses 3 through 5 say this, Lo, Children are heritage of the Lord. Wow. Heritage is something that goes on and on and on and on. It's a legacy. It's something that we can leave to the world. So children are a heritage of the Lord. And the fruit of the womb is his reward. It's a blessing to bear children. 
Verse 4 says, As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. And then it says, Happy is the man that has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gates. Now, a quiver is something that you put your arrows in. Jesse Montenegro likes to shoot bows and arrows, so a quiver is what you put your arrows in. Now, a peacetime quiver is five to six children. A wartime children is 12. So, Tracy, you've got to get on it again. And, and Angela, you've got to find yourself a good Christian man and add a couple more. Wartime quiver is 12 children. Okay? Is that awesome or what? I love big families. Amen? Hallelujah. Now, I'm going to look up Proverbs 22.6 in the Amplified, and they should have that up on the screen here. Amplified Bible says, Train up in the child in the way he should go. And in keeping with his individual gift or bent, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, King James says, Train up a child in the way he is old, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And religious people always say, well, yeah, you'll have children and you'll raise them in church and they'll backslide, but someday they'll come back to the Lord. Well, that's choke on that error. No, not going there. Have, have children, train them up in the ways of the Lord and believe in Jesus name. They will never depart from God. Amen. But I want to talk to you about this part here where it says train them up according to their individual gifts or bents. Now that makes a whole nother meaning to this, uh, this scripture here. Now, young mothers that just now have little babies, and even moms that have older children, you need to watch what they watch what they do. I mean, what do they gravitate to? What do they enjoy doing? What are they gifted in? What are they talented in? And you'll be able to tell that when they're little bitty. Now, little Josh over here, little Joshy, who's not little anymore, but when he was a little bitty fella. You can tell he loves music, right? He can, you know, he taught himself most of the things that he does, most of the instruments that he plays, he taught himself. And he has this awesome ear for sound. He can tell when anything's just a tiny little bit off. Oh, when he was a little fellow, I don't even think he could walk yet, he used to watch the symphony on the public channel. And I realized that he liked music. So I would put the symphony, I would put the public, you know, cervix channel on, and I'd turn it on the symphony. And he'd sit there and he would watch and listen to all this classical music when he was a little fella. Well, so what is he now? He's a musician. I have another son, Jason, who's the oldest one, who I pointed out to, who's marrying Lou in July. His first word wasn't mama or daddy, it was dog. And I had a great big Irish setter and I was changing his diaper one day and here comes my Irish setter and he looked over and he said dog. And that was the first word he ever said. Well, Jason is a farmer, and he loves animals, and he has lots of dogs. But you can, you can look at your children, and you can tell what they gravitate to. Now, when Jason and Ben, my two oldest who are farmers, were young, they would play with these little matchbox cars all the time. Joshua, David, and Joe never played with matchbox cars. They didn't go that way. They liked video games. They liked playing music and stuff like that, except for Joe. Now, Joe was always out in the woods, because when we lived in Indiana, we lived on two and a half acres of, of mainly cleared land, but there was woods all in back of us and ponds and streams and lakes and stuff. And I could never find Joe half the time. 
But he was always out in the woods someplace. And Joe loves the outdoors and he loves, you know, he loves sports and all that kind of stuff. And now, me personally, I love to sew and to do, hand, you know, things like that. And I, I tried to teach my daughter Annie how to sew, but she doesn't like sewing. So, you know, you need to look at your children and you will be able to tell what is it they're going to gravitate to. Now, if they like sports, then do spend your time finding out which sport that they like and try to cultivate that in them. You know, have them take lessons. If they're musical and they want to take piano or be in band at school or whatever, then you, then you lead them towards that direction. You see what I'm saying? If they're not college material, don't force them to go to college. See what I'm saying? You've got to watch these children because it's your reason. And none of them are alike. How many of you have kids and none of them are alike? You know, not one of them are alike. That's because we have a great creator and he makes all these children different. And so that's why we as mothers can't put our children in a box and say, you need to be just like your brother or you need to be just like your sister because guess what's not happening? You're going to have kids that are super smart and you're going to have kids that fight for every single grade that they get. But that doesn't mean that they're any less of a blessing to you. Amen. So that's one little thing that I wanted to share with you about that. When I had children... My main goal from the get-go was what I'm going to tell you. I had, I had a lot of children on purpose. And my main goal was to raise them to serve the Lord. That was my goal. My main goal was to, to teach them to love God. To teach them to love His church. To teach them to love His people. To teach Him to love His work to roll up their hands and, and get their, you know, work within the church, to teach them to be born again, to teach them to be, in, to be successful in, what, in whatever God has called and equipped them to be. I always told my children, you know, I don't care if you're in the ministry or not. If God calls you that, that's great. But whatever it is that God has called you to do, I want you to be the best well-known person in your community that's full of integrity, that's full of honesty, that can be trusted, etc. in your community. So like I said, I've got two boys that are farmers in Indiana. And everybody, everybody knows those boys. And when I go visit them in Indiana, I'll go, I'll go, I like hanging around with them, you know, especially Jason because he's his own boss. So I'll go hanging around with Jason and we'll go to the feed store or we'll go to John Deere tractor place and he's checking on his big combine or something, you know. Everybody knows Jason. Everybody knows Ben when, he, when I go to his community where he lives. And they're known as men of honesty, men of integrity. And that's what, that's what you need for your children to be. You know, if the, you know, most people don't go into the ministry, but you need to teach your children whatever it is that they're going to grow up to be. They need to be maybe not the smartest at it, but they need to be the most honest at it, the person with the most integrity, the person that can be trusted, the person that can be dependable, and etc. To have godly characteristics, that's what you need to raise your children to be. You need to teach your children to be completely sold out to God. You know, and I know a lot of people in here aren't sold out to God. But you know, sometimes all that takes is just a little adjustment on your part. You know, I surrender all. <laughs> you know, Lord, wherever I am, whatever, I surrender all. And that's all it takes to be sold out to God, like a five-second prayer. To me, that meant that church attendance was of utmost priority. My children were never asked, well, you know, 
David, you want to go to church today? That wasn't in the equation, was it? No. We got up and we went to church. We went to church on Sunday morning and Sunday night. Um, I homeschool my kids most of the time, so we had a Wednesday morning service. They were there. That was our healing school. We had a Wednesday night service. They were there, and they were there other times, and they loved going to church. It was never, an, it was never a question of, are we going to church today? It was, yay, it's church day. We get to go to children today. And I want to tell you mamas that have little kids that are nursery age, you know, sometimes they cry and they don't want to go to the nursery, but this is what you do in your home. Okay, follow my example here. You say, yay, it's church day. You get to go play with your friends today. Oh, boy, let's go to class. Yay, you get to play with your friends today. And pretty soon they're all tanked up too. They're thinking, yay, it is church day. I do get to go play with my friends. Let's go, mama. And before you know it, they're happy to go to the nursery and they're not crying about it. You know, you got to make a big deal out of it. Tell them they get to see their friends and what a wonderful time they're going to have. And they're going to get to see Miss Desiree or Miss Leah or wherever it is that's working in the nursery that day. You know, you need to make a big, big deal out of it. So, um, you know, a lot of times uh, you need to be cautious when you're, when you're raising them because you can put other things in front of church attendance. Like a lot of times I see sports being put in front of church attendance. But when our little fellows were, were uh, smaller, you know, they were in Little League and all that kind of stuff. And uh, if, the, if they started on a new team, you know, the season started and it was Little League time and, and the coach would say, okay, here's, a, here's practices, and they'd have Wednesday night on there. And I would just speak up and I'd say to the coach, uh, my kids can't be at practice on Wednesday night. It's church night and my kids are always at church. And uh, you know what? They would change the day the practice was. You know, the problem with Christians today is they don't speak up. They, they lay down and let the devil run all over them, and they don't speak up for things that are godly. So they would change the night. They would change the day that they would have, uh, they would have uh, practices. You know, and uh, you may think, well, I might offend someone. But you know what? I would rather offend someone than to offend the Holy One. So, you know, you need to learn how to speak up because we as believers can change our society just because we speak up. Amen. After all, the other side's speaking up. Amen. And we got all kinds of messes because they're speaking up. So you need to learn to sort out your activities and prioritize as to what contributes to lifelong goals. Here's my baby. Here's the, over there is the result that I want them to be. That's the end product over there. This is what I want my child to be, the end product, when they're 18 and getting ready to go out on their own. But you have to do this on purpose. It doesn't just happen. Okay? That meant that I had to have on purpose, diligent steps of action as to how I was going to raise my children. Now, as soon as I found out that I was pregnant with each one of them, I started praying. And I pray this over you mamas that are pregnant, too. You know, you've probably heard me pray this. I pray for healthy, happy, whole babies, don't I? Yep, Alexis is shaking her head at me. I prayed for easy delivery for me and for the baby. Um, When I was carrying my children, I began to pray for my baby's mate, their future husband or their wife. I began praying for them when I was carrying them. Because somewhere around the world, somewhere, there was a woman who was carrying my child's husband or wife, you know, or or was going to be. So I would pray for them. Um... 
And then as they're getting older, you know, as they're getting into their teenage years and older, you know, a lot of times the devil's sending a decoy from the pit of hell. Well, you're going to let them hang around or you're going to get rid of them. And so, I mean, you know, you have a couple options. You can stand at the door with a shotgun or you can take authority over it in the, in the spirit like I did. You know, and I would say, and you know, you know if the, the, you know if the devil's sending a dud across your child's path as to their, you know, who they're going to marry, you can tell. Some heathen comes showing up at your door, and you're thinking, no, that's not the one. But your child is wildly in love with this person. While you just start praying, Father, I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, you're causing them to go your separate ways. Satan, I bind you in Jesus' name. You're not sending any duds across my child's path. Father, I thank you, Lord, that as they go their separate ways, no one's getting hurt. They're just decided they're going their separate ways. And, Father, I plead the blood of Jesus over the mate that you have for my children. And, Father, I thank you, Lord, that in the right and proper time you're bringing them across my child's path. Piece of cake. Works. Every time. Sometimes it takes a while, but you just have to be diligent about it, okay? And you be loving and kind to them at the same time because, after all, these other people, you know, God wants them saved too. So you don't be mean to them, okay? So, you don't, so therefore, you don't shoot them, literally. Okay. When your children are little, you dedicate them to the Lord. You know, we just had a, a dedication service, you know, a week or so ago, and we had eight or nine babies that were dedicated and children, uh, just like Hannah did for Samuel in the book of Samuel. Um, you know, he dedicated Samuel to the Lord. And a great thing to do, a great suggestion to do is, if you can, to pray for about 15 minutes a day in tongues for your child. You know, you can be doing the dishes and doing that. You can be driving down the road praying in tongues. You say, Father, I'm just devoting this t- the next few minutes. I'm going to be praying in tongues for you know, little Johnny or whatever, and uh, you're doing a whole lot of stuff. Other examples that I did when they were young, I, I sang Jesus songs to them. Jesus loves me, this I know. God loves all the little children, you know, all that kind of stuff. Teach them to pray over their food, even when they're little bitty buddies, you know. They're sitting in their high chair, and you teach them, up. we pray over our food. You know, and then after a while, they'll start to say, say stuff. Maybe they'll say, amen, you know, stuff like that. You need to pray over them for their healing, and then after a while, they're going to be praying over you for your healing. These little people, they do that. You know, I was, Jose over there is shaking his head. His little buddy, I don't, is, he's not even two yet, is he? And he prays for people's healings. You know, you teach them this stuff while they're young. You teach them about creation. Now, I know when I used to take my, you know, we lived in Indiana. And we had grass and stuff and flowers and stuff more than we do here. So I'd take them out in the yard, you know, and we'd squat down and we look at the flowers and I say look at the flowers God made the flowers or feel the grass look at the grass God made the grass or look up at the sky wow look at the beautiful sky God made the sky you're teaching them creation because when they get to public school they're not going to get creation they're going to get evolution but they're going to know God's the creator amen teach them that God created them uh, cultivate uh, them giving what they have. They can be little givers, you know. Teach them to be givers. Teach them that, you know, if they've got money, they tithe off of it and bring it to the local church. Teach them about offerings. Teach them how to love, respect, and serve in God's house. You know, that's why we have little people. You know, when our kids were little, they were always ushers when they were little buddies, you know, because I believe that if you teach a child, you, you're teaching them that this is this house of God is their house as well as it is your house and as an adult you teach them how to pick up stuff around the church you teach them how they can usher or do whatever it is that that they can do help in children's church or whatever you teach them that you teach them how to worship 
You know, little kids are kind of naturally a worshiper. You know, you come up here and they'll come up here and they'll just start dancing around and doing their little twirls and stuff, you know, and they're really getting into it. You teach them how to be kind one to another. Amen. Now, I had a lot of convictions when I was growing up, and these are, I'm telling you, my convictions. These may not be your convictions, but um, I want you to be able to take what I did, and if you don't follow it exactly, then do something to glean off some of it and change it to the way that it fits into you and your lifestyle. Because I know that, you know, uh, well, I'll just share with you what I had, and then you, you tell me. My convictions were I didn't have my children for somebody else to raise them. When I had my kids, I purposed that I was going to be the number one caregiver, the number one teacher, the number one everything. It was me. Um, I had my children so that my Christian values would be instilled in them. Amen. That mean that well, that meant that well, let me just share this with you. Pastor has shared about his family before. You know, they were all drinkers, fighters, you know, all kinds of stuff. So my kids never spent the night at Grandma and Grandpa's house over there. Why? Because I, <laughs> I didn't want them going there. I didn't want them to love Grandma. Yeah, they, we would visit them and stuff like that, and sometimes they would come over. But I didn't want my kids loving Grandpa over here, and then Grandpa gets drunk, and then my little kids think it's fun to see, you know, I want to be just like Grandpa. You know, that, that wasn't going to happen, okay? So our kids didn't go over there to spend the night or anything like that. They weren't, they weren't allowed to do that. You know, you may think, oh, that's mean. No, it's not mean. What's your, what end result do you want? You know, it's your job to protect your children. That meant to me that every decision about not only their everyday lives, but long-term goals were made in accordance with that end result that I wanted. Okay, And we sacrificed a lot for me to stay at home. I was a stay-at-home mom. But I had to outweigh the importance of the end result. Because of that, I had to learn to trust God for provision and faith for him to take care of our every single needs. And you know what? We serve a faithful God because he does. We didn't rely on the government to take care of us. And, you know, if some of you are on welfare, you know, grow and get off of welfare. You know, um, the Bible says you don't work, you don't eat. That's God's system. So you need, to, you need to, if you need to get yourself some education, if you need a little help along the way, you know, get it while you need it. But don't make it your lifelong goal and the lifelong goal of your children to live off of welfare. You know, it's not our job to take care of you and your kids. It's your job to take care of you and your kids. Now, if you need it, that's cool. You know, that's there if you need it. But I see too many people that just live off the system. You know, they have no ambition, they have no goals, but to train their children up to suck off of the system the same way. That's not God's way. You know, consider the ant, you sluggard. You know, look that up in the Old Testament. <laughs> Talks about how he works, and so we ought to be at least better than an ant. Now, if you need it, like I said, you take it. But don't make it, make it your goal that you're going to get off of the welfare system, that you're going to be able to provide for your family, et cetera, et cetera, on your own, okay? To me, as long as, as uh, my children had Jesus in the home, loving the house, a listening ear to their problems, you've got to listen to them, that was all that mattered. The Lord would provide the rest. And Pastor was, a, was worked. And as long as we were tithers and givers, then God would supply. 
And I understand that not every mom can be a stay-at-home mom. We have a lot of single moms out here, and you've got to go to work. You don't have a choice. But this is what you moms can do. You can seek God as to who watches them. Who have you got caring for your children? Um, Who are the people around them? You need to cultivate their friends with good families. You know, don't just drop them off at the neighbor's house. Good Lord, you don't know what's going on behind those doors. You don't know what they're doing, what they're watching on TV. Have them around families that have the same goals that you do, that they, they want to raise their Christians as, you know, children for Christians. And listen to the Holy Spirit's warnings. You know, you may, you may think that you know somebody, and you may think that, well, little Sally's going to go spend the night with little Joni over here, but you don't realize that little Joni's got an uncle that's a pervert, you know, but the Holy Ghost does. And so the Holy Ghost will warn you, moms, if you're listening, don't let her go to this party. Well, all the other kids are going, while your kid's not one of all the other kids. And I told my kids when I was little, I listened to the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost tells me if there's danger for any of you children. And so if everything looks cool on the outside, but the Holy Ghost tells me you're not going because there's danger somewhere along the line, you're not going. So I remember Annie came to me one time and she said, Mom, there's a party over at so-and-so's house. You know, we're, it's a slumber party and we're going to da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And I thought about it and I just felt yuck. And I said, Annie, I don't know why. Because the Holy Ghost, he, 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 he's not going to tell you why necessarily. I said, I don't know why, Annie, but the Holy Ghost is telling me there's danger there somehow and you're not going to go. And I told them, I, 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 I raised them telling them this all the time. I think I had, to, had it one, one time maybe it happened. And I said, Annie, I can't let you go. The Holy Ghost won't let me let you go. She said, okay, Mama. And that was that. Thanks, Mama. You know. Now, if you never teach the kids that you know how to listen to God... And you're out there being, no, you can't do this, and no, you can't do that, and no, you can't do this, and no, you can't do that, just because you're mean. You know, that doesn't fly either. Okay, so you need to keep the churches their main social media. Um, if you don't make an avenue for your children to have good Christian friends, they're going to find them elsewhere. Not everyone in the church is even sanctified yet, so sometimes you have to be careful about that. I remember one time I was so tipped. Um, we had this family in the church, and they wanted to know if uh, I wouldn't listen to the Holy Ghost that day, obviously. They wanted to know if Josh and David could come over. So Josh and David went over, and they took them to the movies. And they went to see, uh, what's that show? Forrest Gump. There's a nude scene in Forrest Gump. My kids were little boys. I was so mad. You know, I wouldn't listen to that obviously that day, or I would have said, "No, you're not. You're not. You can't go over there." I had no idea. I thought these people were smart enough that they wouldn't take their kids to see a movie that had a nude scene. Never to mind take the pastor's kids, you know, to a movie that had a nude scene in it. I was mad. <laughs> yeah, I get my feathers ruffled. Um, you need to make your house the place that the kids gravitate to. You know, have them come to your house. You know what's going on at your house. You know, provide them snacks and, you know, whatever it is you want to do. Let them come to your house. You know, when we were growing up, we didn't live in a neighborhood on purpose. We always lived in the country. My choice. I lived in the country because I didn't want to live in a neighborhood with a bunch of other kids. I mean, that sounds mean because most people live in the neighborhood. 
Now out here in the desert, it's hard to live in the country because the stinking winds blow so much. But in Indiana, we always lived in the, we lived in the country. And if I wanted to have their, their friends come over, we would invite their friends over. And their friends would stay X amount of hours, and then they would, the friends would go home. But that was my conviction. may not be yours. But I didn't want just anybody's kids up the street waltzing in the door, you know, whatever. So that's something you have to think about as well. Um, you may say, well, how are they going to know the real world if you just surround them with Christian people? They're going to discover the real world soon enough. <laughs> Your job is to make sure that they know the world as God wants the world to be, to look like, and then for them to go out and change what the world is. But you can't do that if you're, if you're not raising kids the way you're supposed to. Um, another thing that you need to be thinking about is their education. Um, there are all kinds of choices you can make. There's public school education. There's private school education, which is Christian schools and stuff like that. There's homeschool education and, you know, things like that. And you've got to pray about what you're going to do with your kids. You just don't assume that you're going to do this X, Y, and Z with your kids. You just can't assume that. You have to get the mind of the Father. Father, how do you want these children educated? And then you need to do what he says. And if he says send them to the public school, you send them to the public school. If he says, uh, I want you to believe God for the money to send them to a Christian school, you do that and he will supply the need. If he tells you to homeschool them, you homeschool them and he will help you there as well. Uh, for the four younger batch that we have, we, I either homeschooled them or we sent them to the Christian school. And that's, that's uh, how they were educated. But things you need to consider is the curriculum. Is the curriculum, what they're going to be taught in school, is it Christ-centered? And obviously, if uh, they go to public school, there's no Christ-centered curriculum in the public school. But if you do send them to the public school, then you can supplement, you know, what they're learning with Christian stuff. Okay? It is available. Um, the teachers and the surroundings, are they teaching your children atheism? Are they making fun of their Christianity? You know, I don't know if this guy's still over at the high school or not, but there used to be a guy over at the high school, and some of these kids would come and tell me, you know, man, they're making fun of me because I'm a Christian, la, la, la. Well, I almost called Pacific Justice on the guy. Well, in fact, I did. I called Pacific Justice one day, and I said, we've got this teacher at the high school, and he's telling these Christian kids, la, la, la. And he says, well, we need to get the children to be the case. And if we can get, you know, John Smith over here, a student at the high school, to be the case, then we'll go to, we'll go to court on behalf of John Smith, the child. So anyway, it never happened. I think the guy retired or something. But, you know, there's avenues and stuff. Another thing you need to consider is violence. What kind of violence stuff's going on over at that school? You know, the schools, whatever. Um, <clears throat> when they get out of school, there's, there's, you need to think about higher education. There's, there's college. You know, not all, not all kids need to go to college. Some of them, why are you going to send a kid that needs to be a plumber to, to a four-year liberal arts school? Why are you going to do that? It doesn't make sense. You know, teach them how to be an English teacher when they want to be a plumber. Or when they want to go learn how to be building trades, you know. Or if they want to learn to be a welder, an auto mechanic, why are you going to send them off there? You know, you need to, I don't even know if they do this in the schools anymore. Somebody needs to tell me. Do they still have auto mechanics in school? Do they still have work, wood shop and all that? Do they still have that? That's good. Because they can go and they can learn, take those classes and learn that. And then maybe if there's trade schools out there, they can go to a trade school for a year or two and learn how to, how to be better at that, learn how to get a licensed electrician, licensed plumber, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, 
Or you can have them be an apprenticeship. You know, Jesus learned from his stepdad, Joseph, to be a carpenter. You can, you can send, that's how Jason and Ben learned how to be farmers, because they worked with farmers from when they were little fellows on up. And uh, Ben actually went to Murray State University in the ag department, and uh, he had a four-year degree in agriculture. And when, the, uh, when he had his exit interview, you know, with the dean of students or whatever it is, when he, when he was getting ready to graduate from Murray State University, Ben is extremely honest. I taught him to be honest that way. He went into uh, the, the dean's office and he said, well, Ben, you know, you're getting ready to graduate. What did you learn at school here? And he said, absolutely nothing. Well, why did he learn absolutely nothing? Because the farmers had taught him everything he needed to know. You know, he knew about crop soil, soil. He knew how to examine the crop to find out what nutrients he needed. And he learned that from the farmers. But he wanted to go to college to get a four-year degree just so he could have it on his wall. But Jason didn't do that, but he's just as smart a farmer as, as Ben is. So you can apprenticeship your children with somebody, but just make sure that they're Christians. Okay, so if you have your child apprenticed with somebody, make sure that they're Christians and that they have, uh, have good things. So the bottom line is that you have that child, and as a Christian you are solely and super responsible for the outcome of that child. Now, does that mean it's all going to be smooth sailing? No. Heavens no. Um, you just have to be on your toes. The devil wants your children, you know. And you've got to be building. You are the one that has to stand in the gap for your children. Between, you know, Satan and everything, you're the ones that have to, to, to uh, stand in the gap. I was talking to Joe one day. We were riding down the road. And, I, and we were talking. I said, you know something, Joe? I said, you know the difference between a kid that ends up on drugs? I said, um, if they don't have a praying mama... They're going to end up in jail or dead. If that kid that gets off into drugs has a praying mama, she can get them out of that pit and then they can be delivered. That's the difference. That's why it's so important. So even if you're a mom, if you've got, even if you're older moms or whatever, and you've got kids, grandkids that are off, off doing stuff, man, you just start praying for them, you know. Just start praying for them. Hallelujah. Third John 4 and 1 says this, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. So that's the end result. You know, you raise them right, you get to the end of when they're on their own, and they're serving God, and I tell you what, there's nothing like it. You have no greater joy than to see that your kids walk in truth and serve the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay, well, I hope that that helps some of you. Um, Amen. Like I 